Good morning, church. Our scripture this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They, did, they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. All right, you guys are caffeinated. And um, big shout out to the, to the live stream folks. I can't, I can't hear you live stream folks. All right, there you go. <laughs> Never thought I would do that on church on a Sunday morning, but this is 2021. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Wow, it's so great to be in, in real life. I've seen only some of you on screens, and you look taller in person. That's what we've been saying all morning. And, um, and for the, even for you online, I'm so glad that you've tuned in with us this morning. We believe that because of today, the best is yet to come. That winter is thawing, Aslan's on the prowl, and spring and hope is rising. There's things budding on trees. There's daffodils bursting through the soil. That's the only flower I know. Is that a flower? Yeah, that's the only flower I know. Um, but they're, they're bursting through the soil. I believe that. <laughs> and um, today is, is what we call Resurrection Sunday. This is the day that we commemorate and recognize the reality of Jesus rising from the dead and the implications that has on our life, the implication that that has on humanity. I believe that this is the greatest story ever told and the greatest comeback in human history. And that the resurrection of Jesus is the most fantastic thing that's ever happened to the world. So we know that if you, if you watch sports, that it's, it's March Madness. I know it's April. Just, just trust me. It's March Madness. And um, the th here's the thing about March Madness. Um, there's 64 college teams, 68 college teams that, that all descend on one place and all play each other in these one-game elimination games. And you find yourself and many others cheering for these underdog, small market, mid-major schools in the Midwest against these big juggernaut power conference teams. And we find ourselves cheering for the underdogs, for David to beat Goliath, for buzzer beaters, and for like legit wins over these powerhouses, right? And and at the end of these games, no one wants a moral victory. We want experience, a real win. We want when that clock stops, that our team has more points than the other team. And when it happens, sometimes it feels like it happened because we believed it. Like we're on the couch because I just believe that he was going to make that shot and he made it. 
from my couch. I did that, right? And so when they win, it feels like we won, right? You guys don't watch sports, but <laughs> we move on to movies. And in movies, we watch these characters and these dramas and these tales, and we want our character that we identify with for whatever failure or setback they experience in their life, we want to see that character come back. We want to see them bounce back, but there's something inside humans that long for redemption. There's something in us that longs for something to be made right, for people to have an opportunity to be the best, the best versions of themselves. So I, I, my kids are all really big into Marvel movies, and we all went to the movie theater to see Infinity War. And so we're in Infinity War, and then it's a very long movie, and then it ends on a very bleak note. And we kind of, we walk out of the theater, and we're like, wow, I can't believe it just ended on a bummer. I can't believe it ended this way. And then there's this, there's this little thought inside of me that says, something good has to happen. Something good has to happen. And if you sit around long enough past the credit, something, a glimmer of something good is, is, is tweaked out, is, twe is teased out in the story. There's something inside of us that says, the universe can't let it end this way. And I wonder if that's what these last 13 months have been for so many of us. Like a long, bad ending where we've just been like in this, like it's on loop, the last three minutes of a bad movie, it just, it's just been on loop because we've just been bombarded with bad news after bad news after bad news. And like every time that we hope for a comeback, we get this false start and things are set back more than what, where they began. And we're just longing for something to break. We're longing for something to change. It's been, for many of us, it's been a beatdown. We went through a long political season where people staunchly stuck to their sides and their, and their corners and put their, their signs in their front yards or on their stoops or on their bumper stickers of their cars. And for many people, the political cycle, they lost friendships. They lost family relationships. Some people didn't spend Thanksgiving with their family because they didn't want to talk about it. Because of... I'm not even going to say what happened in last year, but you know, because of that thing, many of us can't even come to church. Many of us have been separated from our, from our church community, or from our coworkers. We've seen people, because of these last 13 months, either walk away from church. We've seen people lose their jobs. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us have, have relocated to this city because we had to find a new job. It's been a, a season of dis orientation. And for many of us, some of our dreams and desires are, have slowly been crushed and ground to a pulp. And I, and I wonder if some of you walk in here today thinking about the, the dreams and the things of our lives that there's, there's no possible way for a comeback. Right? We're down by way too many. There's no way that we could come back. This is where we find the disciples here in the gospel. They watched their friend get executed by the government. And now they're, they're kind of the enemy of the state, the enemy of the religious leaders. Their whole lives have collapsed in one weekend. And oh, their friend that died was more than just their friend. He was the son of God. So I want you to let this set in real quick. 
this, the son of God lost. In their, in their eyes, the, the, God's son died. If you want to demoralize a group of people, you want to demoralize a team, take out their source of hope. But they took out God's son in the, in the flesh. What's more demoralizing than that, to have this hope in Jesus and to see it crushed before your very eyes, the, the, the hope of the nations that's going to carry the burden of the world on his shoulders and change everything about our lives. He's died before our eyes. The, the phrase you hear from these gentlemen who, who walk the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion of Jesus, they said this phrase, we had hoped... And we, we put our hopes in him. We hoped that he was going to change things. We hoped that he was going to change our lives. We hoped that he was going to change the way this world is governed. But this is just another disappointment. This is another bummer. Jesus dies. And with that, the hopes of something better is kind of out of the door. The game is over. There's no coming back from this if Jesus is dead. Jesus, if Jesus couldn't overcome the present darkness, but instead dies by it, what hope do we have for abundant life? What hope do we have to experience the goodness of God if God's son can't even triumph over the forces of the present age? Because in our minds, death is just that. It's the end. When we think of death, we think of the end, and the Roman soldiers were really good at putting people to death. Jesus says on, on, on his last week as he was approaching the cross, he teaches his disciples, and he says in John 12, he says this, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Jesus, Jesus gives his disciples, he gives us insight into how God works. And what he's saying is that God works through death. He doesn't work in, in spite of death. He works through death and the death of his son was the plan all along. So we, we, all, we all know the saying or the song, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? What doesn't kill you makes you better, right? Like, yeah, this is, it was hard, but it didn't kill me, so I'm okay. But with God, without death, there's no opportunity for the transformation that he longs for. If something doesn't die, it isn't transformed into the better thing that God has called it to be. So even before... I became a Christian, I knew that death was the worst case scenario. Because there's, there's no chance of comeback. Like, I, I didn't fear anything else, but I feared death. And I feared even the, the, the opportunity to go to a funeral. Because my soul, my heart, my mind couldn't bear the weight of the finality of the moment without any kind of hope that something better could come out of it because all that I know is death is the end. The, the, the clock is done, the game is over, and there's nothing left after that. An author 
Alicia, Chloe says this, faith isn't threatened by funerals. Without resurrection hope, the possibility of anything dying is scary. The possibility of anything dying, my dreams, my life, it feels like a fleeting possibility. It feels like I have no chance of anything being salvaged without resurrection hope because there's no coming back from the dead. Death is final. And many of the disciples woke up this Sunday morning in the first century in Jerusalem. They wake up this Sunday morning and thinking death is final. Maybe God will do something in some distant ethereal place. But right now this is final. And Mary wakes up early in the morning and she heads to the tomb to pay her respects to Jesus. And when she comes to the tomb... It's open. And because she thinks death's final, she thinks the body's been stolen. She thinks the body's stolen, and so she, she heads back, and she tells his disciples, Jesus has been stolen. Somebody called the cops. They stole my Lord's body. Like, he's gone. Guys, what's going on here? And so Peter and John, they, they start running to the tomb. They start running to the site to check it out. In verse 5, it says, after they reached there, it says, He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And so they, they run to this tomb. John stops at the entrance and he just looks in. Peter goes straight in to investigate the scene and he sees the clothes there just as Mary described as though Jesus has vanished and they are perplexed. They're puzzled because the last thing that they expect when coming to a tomb is for it to be empty. The last thing they expect when coming to a gravesite is for the dead not to be there. And I, and I could imagine where their faith was at in this moment. Because just a few days ago, th things were really good. And I could imagine their faith was at an all-time high. Jesus was doing things. Jesus was raising Lazarus. Jesus was, was breaking bread and feeding thousands of people. And I, I could assume that their faith was at an all-time high because they could actively see Jesus participating in their lives. They could act actively see Jesus participating in making the world better. And then this week of passion of the Christ comes and he gets arrested and so I'm sure that their, their faith becomes a little more cautious, a little more guarded because they don't know how the outcome is going to result in. And they probably are like saying, standing back and saying, I wonder if this is the time when Jesus will finally unleash his power. Then he's crucified and they disperse and their faith is at an all-time low. I can imagine for some of us these past 13 months, and pro probably prior to it, things were great. We were in church. We were meeting weekly. We had community groups. Maybe your job was going really well. Maybe Jesus was, was God was answering all your prayers, and then we've entered the season, and maybe the, the first few months, you're like, okay, we'll see what God does. Month seven, month eight, month nine, hour, and month 13, and I, I can bet many of us are asking, well, where's God? Where, where, where are you? This 
tomb is empty. One commentator, he says this, the tomb was open not to let Jesus' body out, but to let the disciples and the world see that he rose. What what if we are misinterpreting the implications of death? And even more, an empty tomb. See, they, they viewed Jesus' death and now his stolen body as the final nail in the coffin of their hopes. There's, with his body being gone in their minds, in their hearts, there's no chance of a comeback. There's no chance for resurrection. There's no chance for redemption. And before leaving the site, John, it says, he, he takes a closer look. He goes from outside of the tomb and he goes inside of the tomb and he sees the folded clothes and he gets closer to it. <clears throat> and for something happens in that moment where he begins to see the empty tomb and the clothes as a sign of hope. It says, he went inside in verse 9, he saw and believed. And when it says saw, it means that he perceived. He, he began to see what was happening in a different light. He began to realize that there was more going on here than he assumed. I wonder in our lives if there's more going on than, what, than how we're interpreting it. That maybe God is doing way more in what we're interpreting as him being absent, is that him being out of the tomb and at work in our lives. He saw and believed. And he writes says this about John. He says, John believed that new creation had begun. Believed that the world had turned the corner out of its long winter and into spring at last. Believed that God has said yes to Jesus, to all that he had been and done. Believed that Jesus was alive again. John began to have resurrection hope. And that doesn't mean that he grasped Everything that was going on, he only believed that God was doing something way bigger than he ever imagined. Verse 9, it says, They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. See, I know when things happen, especially heartbreaking things, it's really hard to understand why it had to happen. When heartbreaking things happen in our life, happen to people that we love, happens in our world, it's hard to understand why it had to happen and why it had to happen the way that it did. And this is where the place of the disciples were at. They didn't understand that Jesus had to die. And this is the hardest thing that we have to deal with as human beings is to answer the question, why things have to die. That might be where you find yourself this morning. Not understanding why you have experienced or are experiencing the loss and disappointments that you've had in your life. I remember one time in in ministry, I call this like the dark night of my soul, that everything began to fall apart. The church family that I was a part of began to, to separate Everyone began to walk out and ghost the church. We had very close friends that we considered family walk away from us. And it felt like my whole world was collapsing. And I had a dear friend tell me, she says, darkness and despair are trying to bury you. But what they don't realize is that you're a seed. 
And if you don't realize that you're a seed, then what you do is you resist being buried. That soil coming over your head, that being buried in the ground seems like the worst possible scenario because I want to resist death. I want to resist anything that feels like death or a funeral. Christine Kane, pastor and author, says this, Sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. Again, John 12, Jesus says, But kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies. It remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plant, a plentiful harvest of new life. Death will produce new. In other words, from death comes life. Jesus, the, the gospel, the kingdom of God is flipping things upside down and saying, you thought life is preserving it. And Jesus is saying, actually, death is the gateway into life. Alicia Brick Chloe says this, Consider the growth of a plant. Before a gardener can enjoy a plant's fruit, she must tenderly and strategically attend to its root. So a plant's birth begins with its burial. The gardener commits a generally unremarkable seed to the silence of the soil where it sits in stillness and lightlessness, hidden by the smothering dirt. Just when it appears as though death is imminent, its seeming decay reveals new life. The seed becomes less and yet more of its former self, and in that transformation takes hold of the darkness and reaches for the sun. All that is to come rests greatly upon the plant's ability to tightly and slightly develop roots in unseen places. Birth begins at burial. If you've been buried, if you feel like you're being buried by life and circumstances and things all around you, maybe this is the beginning of something great. Maybe the, maybe the trials and the testing of your faith that's happening right now, maybe it's because God is trying to birth something new and greater in you that you have to just allow the process to bury you. And I know that's a hard teaching. In the, in the place of sorrow, it's easy to forget the words of Jesus. In the place of sorrow, sometimes it's hard to understand the words of Jesus. In the place of sorrow, sometimes it's hard to believe in the words of Jesus. When the wind and the waves are crashing in around you and Jesus is chilling in the bottom of the boat, you're like, what's going on? Like, does this stuff work? And Jesus, why do you let it get so bad? And whatever we go through, we have to bury our hearts and our minds in the promises and in the words of God. Jesus has been telling his disciples about the kingdom, that life comes through death. Mark 8, 31, he says this, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He must be buried. He must be buried. Jesus has to experience this death so that the life of God can spring up through all the world. This resurrection of Jesus is a motif of the life that we live as Christians, that we all experience deaths. We all experience burials, but there's resurrection hope. 
And I'm preaching better than the amen. And, all right, there we go. <laughs> you haven't heard that one before, have you? <laughs> Not even the darkest day can hold back the light and life of God and the power of the resurrection. Jesus didn't just pass on. He resurrected. God is the God of resurrection. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of resurrection. He's, he's the God of life. It wasn't a partial resurrection. It wasn't a disembodied Jesus. He came all the way back, flesh and bloods, and Thomas put his fingers in his nail-pierced hands. He said, touch, put your hand in my side. It's me, it's the Lord. I've risen. I've overcome the grave. I'm fully alive. And if I'm fully alive, grab all the things that you think are horrible in your life, that you think are impossible, and look at my nail-pierced hands and ask yourself the question, are all things possible in Jesus Christ? Friends, I'm preaching a while. The resurrection is here. Like this is the reality in which God is calling us to live in, that his son has risen from the grave and his son has risen from the grave. That means in Jesus, we have a possibility towards a real life, that grief can be turned into joy, that despair and doubt can be turned into hope, that our loss can be turned into gain. Our fears, our cares, our pains, injustices are being cast out, met with love, healed, made right by the true and righteous king who has conquered our greatest enemy, sin and death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death up to this point has been the undisputed champion. And Jesus Christ takes on sin and death. And he says, you now have life because neither the grave can hold me down. And Jesus now breaks through the grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he's praying for us. And he's praying and filling us with his spirit that we might go into the world and besides the sparks of the resurrection here in our city, that we might live in light of what he's done. Death has been defeated. You thought death was the end. You thought death was the worst thing that can happen to you. Guess what? Death isn't final. What if we took that into our everyday lives, that when we get scared and threatened by things that are coming up against us, we go, wait, hold up, death isn't final. Jesus has overcome the grave. That we don't just preach this message on this day, that this is what we live from. This is the posture that we come from. He's resurrected. So there's nothing in my life that I should be afraid of. Amen. All right. So the the past 13 months, I know that we've gone through many stages where The first day Jesus is is crucified, you might feel some things in your life have been put to death. Day two, yesterday, Holy Saturday, he's in the grave. God is quiet. It feels like nothing is happening because we're in between a crucifixion and a resurrection. And whatever day you're on, I just want you to know that day 
three comes, that day three has come, that he has resurrected. And if you're on day two, just sit in hope, knowing that God is doing something, that there's something happening, even though you can't see it or always feel it. And I want to feel it, that he's up to something because he's good and he's faithful and he makes good on his word and his promises. A new dawn is upon us and spring is here and it's rising. God is doing a new thing. Can you perceive? it the tomb is empty we have resurrection hope let's be those people who live this out in our world he has risen let me pray for us Jesus thank you that you are the way the truth and the life You are the resurrection. God, resurrect our hopes and dreams. Resurrect our lives and our desires to follow and trust you, Father. You are great. You are good. Holy Spirit, we just surrender and give you permission in this time, in this space. Jesus' name, amen.